who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello, and welcome back to... I Must Break, this podcast, the fan podcast looking at the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today, we're looking at the third chapter in the Expendables series, The Expendables 3, and the next continuation of the popular franchise, Sylvester Stallone reunites his crew once again, this time to take down the co-founding member of The Expendables, who has gone rogue. Yet in addition to taking on a new villain, Sly must also recruit a new, younger band of members with the high-tech know-how to help them launch their next assault. You know, I'd love to party with you boys. <laughs> insane. Courageous. But insane. Welcome to the 21st century. I could do that. You want to slip on a dress and give it a shot? Hey, Barney. You should have killed me where you had the chance. You want the kids? Come get them. Let's do what we do. Couldn't take the stairs? How hard can it be to kill 10 men? These guys are nuts. The Expendables 3 starts August 15th. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and returning to the show to help me discuss this one is Catherine Gonzalez, host of Latinx Lens. Catherine, thank you so much for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm excited. Well, this is, I mean, I, I was kind of going back through. I mean, it's been... Shoot, it's been about two years since we we had you on. Um, the uh, the last time you were gracious enough to join me uh, to discuss retrograde, the the classic that was retrograde. So thank you for for agreeing to come back here. Yeah, I was actually thinking about how long it had been. I know it was before the pandemic, and then of course after the pandemic, it just feels like a million years. You know everything you did before that. So I can't believe it was two years ago, but that sounds about right. <laughs> Well, it only makes sense to have you come on for this one, because, I mean, if you look at a film like Retrograde, which in many respects didn't even feel like a complete movie yeah. in a lot of ways, you know, it was this small little uh, independent direct-to-video thing, it only makes sense to have you come back to discuss the exact opposite. I mean, we have The Expendables 3. This is a big-budget theatrical movie with uh, 10 times the budget of Retrograde, and obviously this one uh, appealed to and played to... Uh, quite a few masses. So thank you. Yeah. And I, for whatever reason, I, we were discussing offline um, the expendables and as much as I love action movies, I, 
I don't know. I think I had kind of ignored this franchise because I was a little bit afraid that it was going to be really cringy um, and kind of ruin, you know, when you kind of go back and just like all these, like my action heroes that I love, but all together in this weird way. And I was like, I wasn't sure. So I actually watched all, all three of them for this um, for the first time. And so I was, and I think I had seen like a, maybe the first two like here and there, like, but not complete. Um, so it was actually exciting to kind of see all three finally after a long time. So um, I'm glad I came on. So <laughs> it kind of helped me uh, watch this franchise. Well, yeah, that was going to be my next point. I wanted to give you major, major props because for, for the, uh, the listeners who are, uh, who are tuning in, I mean, yeah, you, when I, when I kind of gave you the, uh, the, the films, uh, the crop of films that we had, um, you handpicked the Expendables three. Um, and I was going to ask you why you picked this particular one, but again, thank you so, so much for not only agreeing to this one, but, uh, putting yourself through a bit of a marathon. I mean, you, you really only had to watch this one, but no, you went into this and you said, Hey, if I'm going to discuss the Expendables three, then I got to go back and I got to discuss Expendables one, or excuse me, I got to watch Expendables one, Expendables two, so that I'm, I'm ready. I'm locked. I'm loaded. And I'm ready to discuss the gem that is part three, right? (laughs) Yes. And I think I'm so glad I did because it gives context to, I mean, I don't know. I don't, Especially with, I guess you don't have to have to watch one and two after watching three, but it does give context to sort of, you know, what happens in, in the third one. Um, and I never like starting anything, um, like at the end. I have to go from the beginning. So <laughs> yeah, that's just, uh, I went all in. Well, and I, I don't, I don't want to let it go, but I wanted to ask you regarding your, uh, your podcast. So I know that you are still working as the, uh, as the, the editor for the website Shuffle mm-hmm. Online. Is that right? Yes. Okay, but you have now moved and you are now doing a new podcast called yeah. Latinx Lens. I was hoping you might be able to tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, so that actually happened at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, someone I followed on Twitter, Rosa Pada, she was, uh, she tweeted out, hey, would anyone want to join, um, you know, a podcast discussing Latino representation in film and television? And I, at the time, had been sort of wanting to explore that you know, I'm Mexican American and I hadn't really talked about it in like media stuff. Um, I mean, everything I do is inherently, you know, that, but it's, I never specifically like explored that. Um, and I was like kind of in a, in a place where I wanted to do that. So I was like, Hey, I, I you know, I, I messaged her and, um, you know, we started that podcast and it's, it, it's been a really interesting journey sort of diving in. I mean, what we do is, um, you know, we highlight one actor filmmaker of, you know, Latino descent. Um, but we talk about it, talk about them through their filmography. So we pick three films to discuss, um, and sort of just, you know, highlight them because sometimes, uh, you know, the, they, they don't get highlighted in the media. And so it's, and we've actually found that, you know, throughout film history, there has been a lot of uh, Latino representation. It just hasn't really been talked about. Like I didn't know some of the, you know, people we've discussed and how, um, you know, accomplished they've been. So that's been really fun. And then um, the second part of it is that we, um, you know, we, we do four episodes a month. So that's the one. And then the other three, we discuss uh, film reviews and TV reviews and just adding, you know, to that diversity in film criticism and television. So, um, yeah, but it's been really fun. We have, uh, we're on our 43rd episode, um, a little bit over a year, but yeah, it's been, um, really fun journey exploring that part and also just talking about movies and TV consistently on a podcast, um, which is really fun. I feel like I've, uh, learned so much about myself and, you know, talking about movies and TV. So, um, yeah. And thanks for listening to some of the episodes. I know you mentioned that. So I appreciate that as well. 
Yeah, no, I listened to the episode in which you guys discussed the protege. And I mean, that, that kind of ties in with this episode pretty uh, interestingly, but yeah, you guys enjoyed the protege as did I, I mean, it was, it was this small little movie that, I mean, pandemic or not post pandemic or not, you know, whatever that was one that when I saw the trailers for it, I was thinking, you know, this really isn't going to do much at the box office to be perfectly honest. I'm surprised. I mean, yes, it had Samuel L. Jackson and it also had Michael Keaton who were, um, who are really just relishing their roles. But it was one of those films where I was kind of thinking to myself, man, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that this got a theatrical release. I mean, that, that mm-hmm. it just seemed like a small, a smaller uh, scale movie. You could say that would have gone, uh, you know, direct to video or straight to streaming, but no, that one got a, uh, a theatrical release. You guys seem to enjoy it as did I, but um, I think I kind of clued you into it. And I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but millennium films, was uh, the distributor and one of the producers on that one. And Millennium Films, they are uh, quite notorious for reusing and recycling their sets. So I don't know if you picked up on yeah. the, the Bulgarian sets that were used for both Expendables 3 and, uh, and, and The Protégé, but yeah, they're, they're there. Yeah, yeah, I did see uh, w- when you mentioned that, and I kind of went back, uh, you know, when I was watching the the franchise, and I was like, oh yeah, I recognize that, or it has kind of the similar vibe. Um, but you know what, I I really enjoyed the protege, and just for one reason, it's because like the B movie ish type. I feel like we we had been missing that um, uh, recently for some reason. I know they they've probably been out there, but just like that middle line, you know, it's not the greatest thing ever it's not the worst thing ever. It's just like a fun movie. And that kind of reminds me of those like nineties movies, you know, where you just kind of watch and I don't know. That's, I think that's why I really enjoyed it. And then I love Maggie Q as like the badass. I was like, why isn't she in more of these <laughs> action movies? So well, uh, yeah, no. yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, it really was the uh, um, kind of the resurgence, if you will, of the mm-hmm. mid budget action movie. Yeah which we really don't see too much anymore. I mean, if you really think about it, all we really see coming out of Hollywood anymore, which is, is kind of despicable in some ways, if you ask me. Um, but we see the uh, really small independent uh, fair, if you will, or mm-hmm. the, um, the huge, big budget, you know, uh, $300 million movies coming out of Marvel or whatever. But in the 90s, yeah, you're exactly right. In the 90s, we had those mid-range, mid-budget action pictures that were made for between 25 to Mm -hmm. 50 or at the very most 60 million. And this was the area where uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal, Wesley Snipes, that was the area where they thrived. And so, yeah, no, I agree with you completely. The protege, the the thing it reminded me of the most was uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight with uh, Gina Davis. Do you remember that one? And Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I need to add it then to my list. Yeah, HBO Max, pretty amazing. Oh, so. nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's let's look at this particular film. I mean, I know that when you picked the Expendables three, I kind of you know gave you my opinions uh, at first, which which I feel kind of bad. I shouldn't have done that because I <laughs> I hope I didn't color it for you too much but i think i did tell you because when you told me that you were going to be going back through and you were actually going to be watching all three of the films i kind of i kind of i guess like i said i colored your uh viewpoint in a sense but do i hopefully you see what i mean do you see how this film is odd in that it became a parody of what the series was intended to be you know what I mean? If you look at the first Expendables movie, it is for the most part fairly, fairly serious. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just a straightforward balls to the wall action movie. And then we get to the third one. It's 
they're poking so much fun, not only at themselves, but at the genre that it's kind of like, okay, guys, what are we doing here at this point? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if it's because I had waited so long to see it and I didn't see it, see the whole franchise when it came out. So I don't know if this is the reason why I have a different view on it, but seeing them all together, you know, I, I know the one and two is more about the, you know, the, the, the original team and they have, you know, their mission and, and more of the clear cut bad guy. Um, and then in the third one, yeah, it's like they, it's a kind of a revamp because they have to go and do that montage of finding new people, um, which I, we can talk about because I have opinions on that. But oh, yes. Um, but, Biggest problem with the movie. I'm sorry. I yeah. have so many opinions and theories on that that our conversation may get completely derailed with that, <laughs> with that story yeah. angle. Sorry, but. Yeah, but like in the beginning, um, it was fine. Like I was like, okay, cool. I really liked the Wesley Snipes uh, breakout. It seemed like it was going in the right direction. And then I guess it did get a little skewed. But in terms of them making fun of themselves and those references, I mean, they were in the first and second one, even a little at some points, a little bit cringier because they really like, you know, are using their obviously their personal background in both uh, film and off screen um, in the, you know, and, and playing to the audience audiences who know that um, in both movies. And then in the third one, they do that with like Wesley Snipes and, you know, Mel Gibson and Arnold's back and says like, basically like those lines again um, and Harrison Ford and, and, and that sort of thing. But in terms of like the tone, I, I don't know. I was on board for, I get, okay. So sorry. I'm like going around this, but I, enjoyed the movie in a way but then i when i kind of looked you know like looked at some of the points and whatever i did um get your point of the parody version and how there was a lot of elements where i think it was the third one and so maybe they're like we got to go bigger and 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 they went in a way that didn't need to go because i would have loved to see where they were going with it when they you know that that opening scene with wesley snipes had a lot of potential for a different movie and then it went kind of off in a in a different thing. And yeah, I guess it was a bit of a parody, but I don't know. It, it did feel just those those uh but not in not in the way I think you mentioned, like um for me at least, um, because those cringy moments of them using their backgrounds were already there in the first and second one. Yeah. Well, and I think and I, I, I said that on the previous episode, so I'm not gonna completely echo myself again, yes. but I, th- I think, you know, in the end, when you go into an Expendables movie, okay, anyone who goes into an Expendables movie already knows about, you know, the, the careers mm-hmm. of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Dolph Lundgren. I mean, because that's the gimmick. The gimmick is seeing all these action stars from the 80s and the 90s together on screen. So, you know, I mean, th- that right there sells me. But then when you have them cracking jokes, saying yeah. their one-liners, it's kind of like, look, we already know. Like we already, we already know the joke. So I don't know if we need Arnold saying I lied at the end, like he does, like that's one of his lines, you know, um, yeah. er, earlier in the film when uh, Wesley Snipes, you know, cracks the joke about tax, tax evasion. evasion yeah. We know, we know why he was thrown in prison and we know that this was his big film out of prison. I mean, we, we can just go to it right now. Okay. The, the big opening moment is pretty cool where they're breaking, yeah. they're breaking the character of Dr. Death out of prison his prison is on board this big train and it's a really impressive sequence but yeah. look the the only reason why they're they're doing that is because to get wesley snipes to get wesley snipes who just so happened in real life mm-hmm. was in prison and then they even have the character say tax evasion and it's like guys what are we doing here like you know what i mean like we know just just make it to where i mean if they want to break him out of prison 
okay, fine. I mean, it, it was a cool sequence. I'll, I'll roll with it. But suddenly when they say that line, when they have him say that line for that matter, it was kind of like, oh boy, we're, you know, I mean, if the second one was not uh, meta enough, yeah. by this point, it was kind of like, oh boy. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I guess it's like, it kind of was okay. The first, second one, you're like, oh, okay, I roll a little bit, but you kind of enjoy it because you're still in awe. Like for me, it was, it was, uh, I was a little bit in awe of the first and second one because, you know, seeing um, like all, all of, all of the action heroes that I grew up with or action movie stars, you know? Um, and for a moment there, even though it's not like the best material ever, but having them all on screen, is sort of surreal in those first two, right. like at least experiencing for the first time. Um, and then in the third one, yeah, it did. It did I guess m- maybe it's that thing where by the third film in any franchise, um, it is hard to kind of, um, I don't know. It, you gotta, it's a balance because you've already seen two movies. So what are you going to bring to it? What's, what's new? And I guess by, by the third one, having Wesley Snipes say tax evasion, I was like, Hey, we've already seen this in the first and second one. We let those slide because we, we you know, we wanted to see you guys all together, but this one's a little too much. That one's a little too much on the nose. Well, let's say, you know, let's look at the, uh, the, the Genesis for the film, mm-hmm. if you will. I mean, okay, look, they did this with the second one. So it only makes sense. Okay. As with all sequels, the idea is to go bigger than the previous film. Mm-hmm. And so we saw this was with Expendables 2. They added a few more action stars to the mix. Okay. We had Chuck Norris. We had Jean-Claude <laughs> Van Damme. You know what I mean? So that was cool. This one, they just added. <laughs> tons of new cast members to and where that becomes that. a problem. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So if we, if we look at the new additions to the film um, here, it's almost to a fault, I will say. Okay. Yeah. Mel Gibson. I mean, I'll just say right now, actually, um, regardless of how you feel about Mel Gibson in mm-hmm. real life or in his personal life, Mel Gibson is probably next to Antonio Banderas. I will say these were two welcome additions to the film mm-hmm. and Mel Gibson when he is on screen as the villain and he has those moments with uh, Sylvester Stallone, he does an amazing job. So when I heard that, that Mel Gibson was going to be cast in this film and he was going to be playing the bad guy again, I didn't, uh, I didn't bat an eye. I didn't skip a beat. I knew, okay, this is, this is going to be pretty cool. And then if we run down the list of all the other cast members, uh, we have Antonio Banderas, like I said, uh, Wesley Snipes, obviously we talked about him, Harrison Ford, are mm-hmm. all added to the mix here, which I mean, okay, if you look at these, if you look at these actors in their um their resumes, their dossiers, if you will, okay, adding all of these guys makes complete sense. Yep. Okay, because okay, Wesley Snipes, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, even Antonio Banderas to an extent, you know, these are all old school action stars. Okay. And that is that right there, okay, is what the series has been promoting since the first film, is we're taking these over-the-hill action stars from the 80s and the 90s and putting them together. Here's the problem with this, Catherine, and and I've seen this film now, shoot, this is about my fifth or sixth time seeing it, and I feel like this time it pissed me off even more than it did the first time. The problem with this here, they bring in these young additions to the film that are not not old school. First of all, they're not action stars, okay? And they're bringing them in. I mean, and it makes sense why they're bringing them in. They're bringing them in to appeal to a younger audience. Okay. So they're bringing in this new blood to kind of bring in a younger audience, but okay, here's my, <laughs> and I'm kind of going in circles here. I'm sorry, but here's my issue with this. Okay. Number one, they picked stars who are 
extremely bland. I mean, we'll just talk about them here in a minute, but they're very, very bland. But my other issue with this, Catherine, is why mess with a blueprint that is already working? I think that's my my big thing, okay? They have a formula here, and they mess with it by bringing in these young, bland, pretty faces. They're pretty faces, I'll give them that. But it's kind of like, why mess with that? Why why take that formula that worked well in Expendables 1 and 2 and, and change it up and give us something that not only was it not needed, but that I don't think anyone even wanted. Yeah, I agree. And and one of the, I mean, at least for me, because I watch a lot of television and I think this is, um, you know, you know, those, um, as seasons go on, you really fall in love with the characters and in a in movie franchise, it's the same thing. We have been with these core, you know, the core group of the expendables, the ones that who have stayed. And, you know, while there's not a lot of character development in these, um, you, I can't help but like, you know, kind of bond with them, you know, even like, um, I haven't, hadn't, hadn't really seen like Randy Couture in anything. Um, but I, I loved what he did in this, you know, and he kind of has the arc and then Dolph Lundgren as well. You know, like I love that in the first one, he was sort of, you know, uh, you know, because of his um, substance abuse problems. And then like, he kind of comes back to the the crew. Like that's such a good storyline in the first one. And then like, you know how they like just build a bigger bond with that. And then of course, Jason Statham and Stallone's chemistry together is weirdly fun. Um, mm-hmm. Although sometimes awkward, um, yeah. but I kind of love it. Uh, it's like a weird bromance. Um, you demented then, old bastard. Uh, how many yeah. times does Statham call him? You demented. And you know that we're going to be talking about that in the fourth one. When the, because I guess the fourth one is currently in production. But you know yeah. it's going to end with, you demented old bastard. And <laughs> hit credits. You know? Yeah. And then even Schwarzenegger coming in, um, you know, for whatever reason, I'm thinking, like, is it just because they couldn't afford him? Or it's Stallone's show, so he's just coming in. But even, like, him peppered out through, I mean, peppered out, I mean, peppered throughout the movie is just fun. And then especially, like, seeing those other, um, you know, action stars in the other films it was fun it was a good balance um and so i do agree with you because i have to say it was like the montage that i was not looking for when they go on the chase uh to find these new people and then like it's like lackluster because it's they're not really doing anything too crazy like you know like i i didn't really care um and it's nothing too much against you know them i mean i guess if they're the actors were a little bit more charismatic or but sending a like it's it's hard to fill when you have you just listed all the people who are in here and then even the additions that were in the third one you know gibson ford and banderas like Compared to that, like you don't like it, it's they don't have that filmography yet, you know? <laughs> like mm-hmm. so you're just kind of you know that they're the filler and that works against them unfortunately and because all when they did the montage I honestly was just hoping that they were going to go back to the the crew like I missed them for half the movie because I was like what's the point of this like they just broke out Wesley Snipes and then they and then they did nothing with it you know like that would have been a very interesting story and like the Mel Gibson story of him thinking he had died or, or he thinking um uh you know um barney had killed him like that was already interesting enough like we didn't need to do anything else but i think it's just the third sometimes the third film in a franchise is just like they they think they need to do more complicated things when they just need to keep it simple and do what worked but maybe throw in some more explosions and stuff well i think like i said i i have quite a few issues with this one and i i promise Catherine, i'm not gonna derail the <laughs> conversation too oh no much. worries i had issues too <laughs> but i mean i feel like okay when you bring in these these new faces if you will and again i want to stress 
I don't have issues with the with the addition of Mel Gibson, Wesley Snipes, yep. Antonio Maderas, and Harrison Ford. Again, they all work and they all make sense and they all fit within what this series was sold on. Okay. I think one of my issues with it is the fact that their addition completely negates the purpose and reason for a franchise like the Expendables to exist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because again, this series was made to put all the big action stars, Arnold, Sly, Dolph Lundgren, etc., all these guys in a film together where they're occupying the same screen and doing what they do best, which is kicking ass and blowing stuff up. However, bringing in a group of young, pretty faces, especially bland faces who no one cares about, ruins the purpose for these movies from you know from from even happening from even being there i mean i'm sorry but fans okay of these films do not want to see the original action guys get sidelined by the mm-hmm. likes of glenn powell and kellen lutz i have so many issues with like who who is glenn powell why you know who is this guy i have you seen him before why was he chosen to sideline a a uh, a force of nature like Dolph Lundgren. I don't, I don't. I actually, and I get, I get it. I I understand why they did it. Obviously, this new take and younger influenced style was inspired by the Fast and the Furious franchise. And so, like I said, they're uh, bringing in this younger market. I mean, even if you look at the the trailers and the marketing for this, the font that they were using. I don't know if you saw any of the trailers of the TV spots, but the mm-hmm. font and the music that they were using, it was very clear that they were copying the Fast and the Furious. That I think suddenly became the uh, the the template that this series was yeah. trying to emulate. Yeah, I guess maybe marketing thought, hey, we're going to market it to Fast and the Furious since they're, I don't know, this was, um, uh, what year was this one? It was probably sort of, oh, 2014. So yeah, it was probably when that, you know, I don't know what, what number of the, 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 the Fast and the Furious was out by then, but maybe they thought like, oh, we need to appeal to them too. Um, I actually, so I have seen Glenn Powell in a lot of stuff. Um, but like after this one, cause obviously I didn't see this in 2014, he's been in like rom-com stuff. He's going to be in the upcoming Top Gun Maverick. Um, I actually do like, cause he has sort of that, he's very charismatic in like the other stuff that he's done that I've seen him in. Um, and I don't think it would have been bad to have him in this one, just like there was like the Liam, um, What's his name? Liam Hensworth in the second one, but there was only one. It was only him, and then that was it, right? And then, of course, it was kind of propelling the story. But yeah. this one, they bring in like four. So it's like you want to go out in the suspension of this be like, oh, we have to care about four new people that, you know, obviously we want to, we just care about the old action heroes. And so that's mm-hmm. what really goes against them is like if there had been just Glenn Powell or Kellen Lutz or, you know, what are the other ones? I think it could have subsided, you know, like it could have slide because of course they needed to fill Terry Cruz's um, position because he got shot. So that would have made sense. But yeah, it was just, and then what they gave them to work with, like when they capture Mel Gibson's character and sorry, I hate doing by char- by actors' names, but I can't remember all their character names because I've only seen it once. <laughs> but uh, you know, when when they were like supposed to be, you know, the the greatest, like the hacker or whatever, and then like they didn't check him for GPS, like his watch thing, and that's what makes me more mad than them, you know, being a dish, like like they're supposed to be the new blood and greatest thing, and then like yeah, it was it just felt sort of like it was always going to come back to the old, like you know the old crew having to come and save them. And I think that's where this, it's just like those additions also mixed in with the poor storyline um, just didn't make any sense. And that's what makes me mad of like, they didn't need, didn't need to be there or if they were going to be there, 
at least make it like it was like with the Liam Hensworth character in, in the second one, you know, because, um, and then Barney for the whole time, like he got rid of them because got rid of his crew because he didn't want them to die. Whatever he cares about them. This one, he keeps saying, Oh, it's just a, you know, it's just a mission. It's just a mission. I don't care about y'all. And then, you know, of course he's going to have to go back on his word because he cares and he has a moral compass. But then like, he just spent the first like 30 minutes, you know, treating them like, you know, I don't know, whatever. And, and then we have to believe that he cares about them now. And so that's the, the story points that, that hurt more. Um, than you know the actual like additions but i will say that ronda rousey um for me did not work at all <laughs> um <laughs> she, her the acting you know not that's you know pretty awkward um so yeah i wasn't a fan of, of her i mean victor ortiz's mars was fine and you know even kellen lutz was you know okay um and glenn powell for me but yeah it just they didn't there needed didn't need to be that whole storyline you know so it just worked against them from the beginning <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, and so, and like I said, we're, we'll be going back to them here in a minute, but I wanted to uh, just establish there were, there's three things about this film that we, um, before we really pick apart the story and the characters as we have been doing, I want to throw it out there. Um, this film was directed by Patrick Hughes, who is an Australian director. Um, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but he, one of his first films, actually, it might've been his first film, actually, he did a movie called Red Hill. That is really, really good. Actually, you should check it out. It's a, um, it's, it's a Western, but set in, uh, the Australian outback. Mm. Really, really cool. So when I heard that he was, uh, that he was tapped to be directing this one, I had seen Red Hill already. So I knew that this was going to be in, uh, fairly good hands. It was also announced fairly early on that this one was going to have a PG 13 rating, which, you know, for me personally, I mean, they, they kind of toyed with that with Expendables 1 and 2. Um, when they announced it with this one, I was kind of like, eh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really care, to be perfectly honest. Because, I mean, if you look at Expendables 1 and 2, all you need to do is take out the digital blood. And those movies are basically PG-13 anyway. So, I mean, the the, the blood shots are, you know, not <laughs> – they're, di- they're digital anyway. So, yeah. But uh, the other big thing about this one is – Look, we, we're we're we've been talking about how it is the it is inferior to the previous two, and is probably compared to the other ones, it's you know not as good. It also performed the worst at the box office. Now you could say it's because of these story beats that we're talking about, but I think the biggest thing against it was the fact that I'm sure you you were aware of this as well, but it was leaked online maybe about a week or two before it finally before it actually hit the theaters. And so mm-hmm. the fact that it was pirated and available on YouTube and whatnot hurt this film immensely. Yeah. And also 2014 was a really amazing year of film, like Mad Max Fury road and um, a few others. Oh, John wick. Um, and I don't know where, what um, the release was like if it was before or after that, those two, but yeah, 2014 was like a crazy good year for film. Like, so that was also been a little bit, you know, depending where it came out. Um, I bet hurt it a little bit. Well, and um, you know, we, we, we talked about Wesley Snipes. So let's just, let's just dive into the, uh, to the film and, you know, break down the story. So yeah, the, the film opens with that uh, really cool uh, prison breakout sequence, we'll say on board the train. And this introduces us to the character of Dr. Death played by Wesley Snipes. So again, the film is being extremely meta, not just with his, uh, uh, with his prison breakout, if you will, but they also make him an expert with knives, which 
is very clearly a reference Blade. to his role as Blade. I mean, come mm-hmm. on. It's so on the nose. And of course, this puts him at, uh, this put him, this puts him at odds and, uh, rivalry with, uh, Jason Statham because Jason Statham is the resident expert with knives. So. Oh boy. Sadly, they don't really do much with that until, yeah, yeah, it's kind of the beginning of the movie. We see a little bit of that rivalry and then again at the end, but they do nothing with that. Yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a little bit too on the nose for me. Um, But, you know, I was like, you know, that's kind of the playful spirit of, of how, or, or, you know, of like the one and two, they did those sort of, you know, odes to their previous, um, obviously their careers. So I was okay with that. Like that would have made for a good, um, you know, a little bit of rivalry, which, yeah, they, they just underutilized the things I thought they were going to, you know, play on. Cause I had expected it since, you know, I had watched the one and two, but I felt like it was a letdown with the Wesley Snipes edition because, you know, we lose him for most of the movie. <laughs> so it was just yeah. like, okay, what was the point of that? Well, the film, I mean, once they, once they get Wesley Snipes and have him join the team once again, I mean, it really doesn't skip too many beats. I mean, it goes right into our conflict to where yeah. we get to see our main villain. So now with Dr. Death, by the way, you mentioned it already, but the names of the characters in this yes. film are <laughs> hilarious. So, but yeah, I was like, I, I, you know, usually I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those like sticklers, like I want to use the character name, not their actor name, because people don't, wouldn't know their actor name. But I'm sorry, y'all, I can't keep up with all these. It's yeah, it's it's. I mean, and you know, we we we're going to be coming back to this, but there are so many aspects about this film where I honestly feel that the story was being written on the fly. You know what I mean? Like they pretty much, they had, they had all the actors lined up and they were kind of writing the script or making various script revisions and changes. I mean, I can only imagine, you know, they always talk about how script revisions are different colored pages or whatever, when they put it in the script, you know? (laughs) And so I can only imagine the shooting script for this thing had to be just a beautiful rainbow of, of various different colors, but yeah. So, okay. What Dr. Death, he's on board the team. And so the Expendables quickly just dive right into their next mission where they must intercept a shipment of bombs that are being sent to a Somalian warlord. However, they discover that the mastermind behind it all is actually Conrad Stonebanks, who happens to be the former co-founding member of the Expendables. So this is Mel Gibson's character. This guy, he went rogue. He was presumed to be dead. So the team, this is kind of a bizarre scene here. The team charge Stonebanks, which was just really bizarre. It was kind of like, Stallone, what are you doing? Like, you're supposed to be incognito. But the team charge Stonebanks. But what happens is because they are fairly reckless in this moment here, Stonebanks gets the upper hand on the team. He shoots Hail Caesar. So this is uh, uh, Terry Cruz's character. He shoots Hail Caesar in the back thus taking him out of action for the entire movie and puts him in a hospital. And then, then the ultimate dastardly uh, uh, move here, he drops a massive bomb on the team, which they are very, uh, which they are very narrowly, I will say able to escape. Yeah. That one was pushing a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was a little, that was real close. I was like, I think you guys would have probably, you know, had some injuries from that blast. (laughs) But conveniently, there was a body of water for them to, yeah, to jump into. It's like when so a character fun. falls off a roof. Sorry, but it's yeah. kind of like when a character falls off a roof and they land on a car. 
That's always yeah. a safe or in a garbage in a garbage bin for that matter, right? It's yeah. safe. <laughs> but you know what? That was fun because like that's that's an ode to all those you know action movies that's conveniently placed. I mean, I I was I was on board um, up until that point. I mean, like. Yeah, through all of the that scene, you know, the Wesley Snipes opening, and then you know the the villain uh, reveal of Mel Gibson Stonebanks, which Stonebanks is a funny name. Um, you're right about Conrad Stonebanks. Conrad, yeah. Stone, yeah, but yeah. it's actually pretty good, you know, because um, yeah. I mean, all the really good, you know, names have already been taken by all of them in their previous films. So I mean, coming up with new <laughs> action names must have been hard, but. Yeah, it was fun. So that's why I was like thinking, like, where is a parody coming in? And then I was like, oh, <laughs> wait for it. Well, and as a side note, I don't know if this bugged you like it did me, but as a side note, it's almost humorous and kind of weird. I I felt seeing this hard nosed team of mercenaries showing up at a regular traditional hospital. I mean, that that to me just uh, felt a little odd. It was kind of a weird juxtaposition. I mean, wouldn't you think a team of mercenaries, there's not a military hospital of some kind for these guys to go to, but they just... They'd go into just a regular traditional hospital, these big tough guys. I don't know. Obviously, maybe I'm looking at that more than than I need to. Plus, what's also weird is they establish Wesley Snipes as the team medic. Yeah. And then they don't do anything with that. And I I almost kind of had the idea where I wondered, okay, maybe they should have done something with this angle. Like, why set Wesley Snipes up as the team doctor when we never even get to see him use his medical expertise? Yeah, I actually thought the same thing because, I mean, he he was there on the ground when he actually got shot. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. He was there. Perfect timing, you know, all that. I mean, all like perfect addition um, because they were going to use him. But, yeah, you're you're right about the it was weird seeing them in that um, really just it seemed like, you know, a a cookie cutter hospital um, and it would have made more sense for them to be somewhere else like underground. And then Wesley Snipes attending to Terry Cruz's character. Um, and then, you know, we just, we just sort of like go off like, Oh, he's critical condition, but he's going to make it sort of thing, you know? And like, we don't really need to go back to that, but it, it shouldn't have been in a hospital. You're right. It was a little bit off, which, you know, I guess it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the movie, but. You know, what we missed out on actually is we missed out on what could have been a really cool deleted scene of Sylvester Stallone sitting in the waiting room. Okay. And he's sitting next to this one guy and he, you know, the guy, he asks this dude, Hey, what are, who are you waiting for? And he says, Oh, my brother was painting a house and he, you know, fell off and he broke his leg. What are you in for? And Stallone says, Oh, a a team on my mercenary crew was uh, uh, shot in the back by a former teammate of mine. And then we were narrowly able to escape a giant bomb, you know, just yeah, so weird. Yeah. I don't, yeah, it doesn't make any sense in in this in this uh, in this regard. Because like, why? Yeah, Doctor Death, but you're not. Gonna, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and the other issue with not just this film, but with the series for that matter, instead of giving the film stakes, which let's be fair, the series has never really had any stakes yeah. at all. Okay, they do the same thing once again here, where. Terry Cruz's character isn't killed. I mean, I'll just say right now, they should have just killed his character. That would have given mm-hmm. some real stakes. But the series has never had any. They could have done that with Jet Li's character in the previous one. They didn't do it. Okay. So Terry Cruz's character, he's not killed, but mortally wounded. And I guess the story goes that Terry Cruz had filming obligations with the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mm-hmm. yet he didn't want to be counted out of this one. So he begged. He begged Sylvester Stallone 
to keep him in the movie. So I know it, it's interesting because, and I said this on the, on the Expendables 2 episode, but if you look at a film like Rocky Four, where Sylvester Stallone had no problems whatsoever, or even Rocky Three for that matter, with these two films where he had no problem killing off uh, Mickey, his trainer, and Apollo Creed. You know, I mean, these are integral yeah. members to the franchise, but by those characters dying, what does that do? That gave the series and those films real, real stakes. Having Terry Crews just laid up in a hospital, and then when we see him at again, just at the very end of the movie, you know, completely healed and <laughs> drinking and hanging out, it's kind of like, okay, you know, we're we're in we're in fantasy land here. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I actually thought, because, you know, I, I uh, somehow have survived uh, or, uh, yeah, survives not um, experiencing any spoilers from this series. Um, I'm actually pretty good about, you know, avoiding spoilers in general, even on social media. But so when he got shot, I was like, oh, OK, he's he might die. And I was like, yeah, that would make sense. And then he didn't. Yeah. And it was, I'm, I'm all about stakes because I mean, especially in the action series, you know, action um, genre, because if we, you know, what's the point, you know, unless it's going to be really good, like the bromance or, you know, um, like the in-between stuff where we don't even care about the overall mission. Um, but in this, in these like formulaic movies, especially from one and two, like there needs to be sort of that villain, um, uh, thing and they had a good villain here set up with stone banks you know but yeah i i kind of was hoping that you know the the terry cruz's character would have also died because i would have actually because like liam hemsworth character in the second one you know they barely knew him yeah he felt bad because he was a young kid but like there was no real emotional tie there um so even his death wasn't that you know like like i don't know the characters are pretending like it is but it's you know as an audience you don't really feel that but if Terry Crews' character would have actually died, that would have felt, you know, you would have felt it like a member of the Expendables dies. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, well, okay. No more Bruce Willis in this film. I know. Okay. We have, uh, you know why? I didn't look that up, but I was wondering if they just, if maybe he was filming something or he just, they, I don't know, they wanted to bring in Harrison Ford, <laughs> which okay, I'm so- not, I don't mind about actually. So I'm, I'm okay with the Harrison Ford edition, but I did like the Bruce Willis character. So, okay, going along with the meta nature of this film, here's the reason why Bruce Willis wasn't in the film, Catherine. Okay, so they asked Bruce Willis back to do this film, but he was asking for more money. And Mm. all he was going to be on set was going to be, I think, for three or four days. And he wanted, I think, I think he wanted double his salary, where basically they offered him two million, but he said, no, I wanted three million. So basically Sylvester, or three million per day, we should also say, or something mm-hmm. like along those natures. Don't quote me on those exact numbers, yeah, but yeah. in the end, it was for Bruce, more money. Yeah, Bruce Willis wanted more money. And so Sylvester Stallone basically said, sorry, dude, no, we can get Harrison Ford here. And so <laughs> that is why, that is why Harrison Ford steps in as the CIA operative who's hiring the expendables. And that is why in this film we get such lines as uh, uh, we get these lines thrown around at Bruce Willis's expense where, mm-hmm. uh, where Harrison Ford says church is out of the picture. Okay. Yeah. Wink, wink. You almost expect them to look at the camera and wink. And then later <laughs> on in the film, when Jet Li shows up, Jet Li says, man, I thought church was an asshole. Okay. These are when I said earlier, how there had to be script rewrites or the, that, that script, if you will, had to be every shade of the rainbow imaginable. These lines had to be written as they were going in, you know, as they were filming these particular scenes. Because, again, if Church or Bruce Willis, for that matter, had not balked at uh, at his uh, 
at, at the rate that he was going to be getting paid, we would have seen him in this role. But instead, we get Harrison Ford here. Yeah, I, I figured there was something along those lines. Um, but I have to say, Harrison Ford was a great addition, especially in that CIA role. Um, so, I mean, it kind of, you know, it, yeah, Stallone was right in that sense. <laughs> but, I mean, I did miss Bruce Willis in it. Um, but not a, not a big deal, you know. Well, okay, so we've talked about it. And I, I, I promise I'm not going to uh, spend too much more time on it. But let's let's get into the the biggest problem with the movie, in my opinion, not just the inclusion of the young kids, for that matter. I had a huge issue with the way in which they are brought into the film narratively. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay, let me back up. So the production <laughs> felt in there in the in which again I don't understand why they're why they're messing with a formula that, that worked. Okay. But the production and their infinite wisdom felt that bringing in younger recruits to the team was a keen idea, especially in terms of the marketing. Okay. However, their inclusion makes zero sense, you know, narratively for the story. Okay. So if, if I understand this correctly, okay. <laughs> after they admit Hale Caesar, okay. So that's Terry Cruz's character. After they admit him to the hospital, the team is sitting around at a bar and Stallone fires his team, which consists of Jason Statham, Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture, and Wesley Snipes. And his reasoning, if I understand it correctly, his reasoning is the team is getting old and he refuses to be responsible for any of their deaths. So he fires them, calls upon a former expendable, okay, who's now a recruiter to help him find new talent, played by Kelsey Grammer. We'll get to Kelsey Grammer here in a minute, Catherine. Um, <laughs> but here's what I don't understand. Okay. Why fire his best friends and teammates and instead hire newer, younger recruits who arguably have their whole lives ahead of them? That's what I didn't understand. You have these old, grizzled, tough guys, okay, who have been with Stallone literally through hell and back, we'll say, and he's going to fire them and he's going to hire younger younger guys okay younger guys and a gal will say yet they're half the age i mean they have so much more life to live and he's not going to have any issues like what if they get and spoiler alert what if they get hurt what if they get put in harm's way wouldn't that almost make stallone feel guiltier in the end it doesn't it to me Catherine, that to me felt like just lazy lazy writing that made zero sense no, yeah, I agree with you. It didn't make any sense, especially I don't like that um, they're mercenaries. Their whole job is that they could die at any moment, any mission, anything. They have made the choice to do that. So I don't know why after all the years that they've been together, <laughs> Stallone would, you know, uh, Barney would all of a sudden be like, hey, by the way, this is really dangerous, guys. And like, we can't do, you know, I can't be responsible. But what about all the other million missions that you've done so and then it's also sort of like this moral uh like it just doesn't make any sense because the more badass thing would have been like hey we're gonna go down blazing especially after they just learn that Stonebanks is alive and they didn't even unpack that you know like in the other one there were uh when when um i keep referring to the second one but it just you know is like a good comparison um the liam hemsworth character died and they're like we're gonna go get the bad guy and then like there was none of that in this you know and then um like terry cruz's character just got shot and then no one ever no one talked about going and getting Stonebanks, unless i'm 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 forgetting that it just goes cuts to 
uh, Stallone feeling really bad and then um, like firing them for some reason. And then he's going to like, but he can go um, uh, kill, you know, I mean, go, you know, kill himself or, you know, on the mission. It's okay. Um, I don't know. I guess in a way it felt like this sort of like sexism, but against his bros, <laughs> you know, like I, you know, you guys can't handle it, but I'm going to do it. And I think that's why I honestly, it bothered me in that sense of like, They've already decided what they want to do. They they made the choice just to go with it, you know. Um, and then you're right. The fact that like it's even worse because he's apparently so morally, you know, he has that moral compass. Yet he basically is using them as expendables, the young kids, and mm-hmm. like acting like he doesn't care about them. But then like later on, he feels bad, like oh, you know, when they get captured. But yeah, it didn't make any sense that he was okay killing them when they're younger. But they yeah, but all these other guys that they've lived doesn't like, I, I'm a, I agree with you. It just, that whole storyline just doesn't make any sense. And that's like the bulk of the movie. So it, that was the real problem. I think with, with this one. Well, Stallone gets a line. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but when, when he first meets up with um, the character of, uh, of Bonaparte. Okay. So this is, this is the recruiter played by Kelsey Grammer. When yeah. he meets up with him, Okay, where he says, hey, I need some new guys or whatever. Um, Kelsey Grammer asks him, and I'm going to have to go back and, and remember the line, but Kelsey Grammer says, is, is this going to be a, this sounds like a one-way ticket yeah. or a one-way mission. And Stallone says, most likely. And so I'm thinking, well, I'm sorry, then you're just an asshole, dude. Like, yeah, you know exactly. I mean? like, like, I mean, your team is called the Expendables, but apparently your bros are too good to be killed, but you have no problem sending Killing in these kids. Yeah. Bonaparte. Sorry to hear about Caesar. Hope he pulls through. It's a good one. The good ones are rare. Yeah. Oh, here we are again. What do you need? New team. Retired the old ones. Welcome to the 21st century. The guys you're looking for. Young, hungry, willing to take a bullet. I'm going after Stonebank. Stonebank. Glad to see I'm not the only one slipping the notch. Stonebank's is dead, my friend. Mortos D. No, he's not. That's not good. He's half what he used to be. Four or five ain't gonna cut it. You're gonna need 50. You gotta move fast, no time. I gotta do it fast. I can't guarantee the best. Just give me something that don't give a damn. What? It's a one-way ticket. Could be. Fine. You gotta lie on a few head cases. A couple of these guys will probably end up shooting yourself. Wait. What about these guys? They anything? These guys are pussy. It goes against his whole character. Like, yeah, yeah, which um, it doesn't, and not in a good way. Like, you know, there's obviously you can change your character. You can have the arc, whatever. But this one does not make any sense because you're basically doing the exact thing that you just told the audience that, you know, like you're, you don't want to kill your friends, but then you're, it's not about the actual killing. It's like, you know, you're just, I don't know. Yeah. It just, it kind of puts his character, um, what's that word like it just doesn't yeah it just doesn't make any sense he kind of negated everything he talked about you know with that speech to his to the bros (laughs) well i had some ideas here Catherine. okay again i've seen this film a few times okay i had some ideas i think there are two avenues they could have gone with these younger additions i mean first of all look and i don't want to keep you know beating this drum but i don't think they needed the new additions i just don't think they you know should have included them but if Millennium Films decide, you know, really said, "Hey, we need these new characters in the film." 
okay, I think there are two avenues they could have gone. One, I think, is, hey, make them members of Mel Gibson's team, especially yeah. considering, I mean, if you think about it, in Expendables 1, the, the villains all had that right-hand man if you mm-hmm. will. Okay. So in Expendables 1, you had uh, Eric Roberts who had Stone Cold Steve Austin at his side. Yeah, Expendables I like 2. <laughs> yeah. Expendables 2, you had um, Jean-Claude Van Damme who had Scott Atkins at his side. Mm-hmm. Here, Mel Gibson doesn't have anyone. He has basically a mm, an like, army yeah. of what? Faceless, n- nameless characters. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like a video game goon. Like, you know, like yeah. just, um, there's nobody... Um, which at the beginning, I know we already talked about the beginning, but that villain that they like, you know, initially go to felt like a video game character. <laughs> I just like had to put that down. So it like is going through some of that. It honestly, a lot of these parts just reminded me of like the video game. Like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, Mel Gibson didn't happen to me. I think towards the end, he turns to someone and says, Hey, go get him. And it's just like, you don't even know, like that guy had never been introduced. He was, didn't even have a line. Like it just, and, and, you know, Mel Gibson, like you said, whether, you know, in, in this movie, however you feel about it outside, like he does play his character very well. It was a good villain, um, uh, you know, sort of thing. But he had nothing like nobody like he did need to have that second counterpart because then it just felt kind of weird. Like he, of course, was going to lose in the end. You know, like yeah. he talked about stakes. We knew he didn't have anybody else besides himself. And it just was like a ploy. Um, so he yeah, they could have brought in maybe one of those like younger care, especially with him. Like he was the one that said, he tells Stallone, like you never wanted to go and do these other things. And it would have made more sense for stone banks to get the younger blood because he wouldn't have cared. You know, he was the one sort of doing more of like the change and, and, and willing to change in a sense, you know, because he wanted to make money. Um, so he would have probably brought in whoever he thought was, you know, the best, but he didn't have anybody, which didn't make sense. Well, I think if the if the young additions were working for Mel Gibson and they made them all bad guys, then you could add a really cool little dichotomy there where you could have had old versus young. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay, this these are that? Yeah. these are the new recruits, if you will. And so then you could have had something also really cool. Okay, yeah. Conrad Stonebanks, he got fired from the expendables. Well, what does mm-hmm. he do? He goes off and he hires his the own exact team. Opposite. Mm-hmm. So, it's the exact opposite. And so then you have two rival mercenary teams who are uh who, who are you know going at it trying to you know find the the MacGuffin, whatever that may be you know they could have done that and that i think would have been would have mm-hmm. been pretty cool but unfortunately you know they just decided okay every new addition to this film mel gibson withstanding we're gonna make good guys we're gonna put them all on the good team which is gonna completely topple the scales of the of yeah. this film to where again first of all it didn't have any stakes to begin with but now at this point i mean there's really not much of a especially when we get to the end okay the the third yeah. act that big shootout that happens as well as i'm sorry Catherine, but i'm gonna go there right now the final scene in the bar there's just way too many characters here all of a sudden to where it was um it, it makes sense that this was the uh, the final outing for the series for a while, we will say. Yeah, you're right. And also, I don't know, it just, they felt empty, you know, like, and, and the, the new additions. Because like I said, we've already come to love the other, the, the crew. And then, like, you want us to, in 20 minutes, to get accustomed to these. When you know, like, and the thing is, we know as an audience that it's going to have to come back to the old crew again. 
I so know. why why did you just like let us get what we wanted more of the cheesy bromans between you know like i would have enjoyed 20 more minutes of them if you know whatever even if it was sort of the same thing you would have just we would have been having a different conversation probably just saying like oh well you know it's kind of the same thing but we enjoyed it and, and that would have been maybe okay i don't know but um but that idea too like the old versus new it just feels really odd that they decided to put so many on the good side i wonder why what the story choice was there, you know, or the reasoning behind it. Um, because usually they're in other action movies there, the new stuff is always with the bad guys, you know, like there's always like that kind of um, the rival thing, but on, in this one, it didn't, it, it was a little bit weird. It didn't feel organic. No, not at all. Which is, I mean, interesting. I would, I find it hard to believe that many of these actors, when they jumped on board, demanded to play the good guy here, because I mean, there, there's an interesting, uh, you know, just, visually there's an interesting image here in the film where how major villains in previous sly films are now fighting alongside Sylvester Stallone. So we have Dolph Lundgren who was the villain in Rocky four. We have Wesley Snipes who was the villain in demolition man. And then Antonio Mm -hmm. Banderas, who's the villain in assassins. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm watching this and look, I love Wesley Snipes in the film. I love Antonio Banderas in the film. Why couldn't they have been, I think I would have loved it personally. Why couldn't they have been right-hand guys to Mel Gibson? Okay. Where, where, you know what I mean? I think that would have been really kind of cool. And they've, and these are actors who have proven that they can play villains and they can play villains quite well. Make them the bad guys here. Yeah. I mean, my favorite, I didn't, I mean, as you know, I didn't watch the the franchise before, but I really loved Jean Claude Van Damme as villain. You know, yes. like a play on villain. Um, like that was just amazing. You know, and and so yeah, you're right. Like a, another baddie, like another one of those guys. Like, um, although I will say I did like Antonio Banderas's character in this one, but again, there was so much good and like that part that his character kind of gets like it, it just becomes like a. a um, a shtick and it's like I don't know but he was trying really hard and like I, I did like his character in this but yeah he would have he would have been a really good um, side character or, or you know at least a co-partner or whatever with Mel Gibson um, and even Wesley Snipes obviously he's done a lot in, in that regard too so you're right about that um, but yeah it's just I don't know what they were trying to do and maybe it's something like you mentioned with like I don't know if it's maybe getting when you get older with age you don't want to you know maybe like I don't know the story choices because you said in you know rocky he was he made those choices in this one he didn't make those choices it just feels like it's kind of like i don't know if it's like an audience thing they don't want to like kill people off or they don't want to do too much of that thing but it or it's like let's not do all of it in this one because there could be more um and maybe uh you know in the previous decades another sequel is never guaranteed you know, um, and in this world, in the you know two thousands, it, it it sort of is, regardless of how it does in some ways. Um, so, do you think it was like that too? Like maybe staying a little bit too safe to hold that off for other sequels? I, you know, I, that's that's a good question. I don't know. I kind of you know, I almost kind of wonder if in production, Stallone saw what he was working with here and really just started to kind of have fun and be even more silly. I mean, that's an interesting segue because in the montage where he's recruiting the new younger team to help him go after Stonebanks, in these scenes, Stallone is wearing some embarrassing outfits here, can we just Mm -hmm. say? So one, it's when he's recruiting um, 
Glenn Powell's character, he's wearing this uh, jacket that feels like he raided Steven Seagal's wardrobe. Okay, I don't know <laughs> if you picked up on that or not. Yeah, and then yeah. when he and Kelsey, outfits. well, and then when he and Kelsey Grammer go into a nightclub to recruit Ronda Rousey, he's wearing this you know leather fedora type hat. And again, it just this does not seem like the Barney Ross from the first movie. Here, can we just say like again? It almost feels like I mean because. Okay, these films were made to be a love letter to, you know, the action movies of the 80s and the 90s. But when you see these moments here, it's kind of like, is Stallone, is he parodying those those films as well that uh, that put food on his plate all those years? I mean, is, is that is that what we're going, what we're doing here? Is that the direction in which this film is going? Obviously, I think that's what it's doing. Yeah, I guess so. Because, um, I mean, I don't know. It, it did feel for a third... Usually, even if the story is bad in a third fr- in a in a third film in the franchise or a trilogy, sorry, um, you do get really good production design. You do get really good, you know, like at least the sets. The you know, it, there's bigger explosions. It's crazier stunts. There's more VFX. Um, but I have to say, for this one, like the sets, even when they're doing those montage where we go and find the new recruits, it did feel. Um, like they got less money than they did in the previous ones. Cause I have to say the first two were really well made. Um, and even this one, there's like some nice shots. I didn't think it comes from the director. I don't know. I didn't see the previous work. Um, I have seen the Hitman series, the Hitman's, um, I think he directed both of the like, Hitman's wife's bodyguard. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and, and there was some of those like nice framing in here, but mixed in, there was like really kind of cheap looking sets and, um, like you said, the the wardrobe. So, like, I don't know. Like, did they get less money on this one um, for the budget, or did it go to all those actors' <laughs> salaries? Maybe, but it did feel oddly like this would have been more of like the first film, you know, like you know, when like, oh, what are we going to do with the Expendables? And like, based on what we like, the production design and stuff like that, um, it was it was a little bit surprising to see this in a third third film. I, I expected maybe the storyline to be not be as good. But the other parts, um, usually given that the budget's always bigger, was a little bit surprising. Well, and can we can we just say real quick, okay, looking at the young additions, okay, the, the young recruits, if we will. So Victor Ortiz, his big audition moment is pretty much just firing a huge gun, which begs the question, couldn't anyone else have done that? Like, why? <laughs> yeah, they weren't very convincing. Um, but I did actually, you know, of all the recruits, I think like Victor Ortiz would fit the mold in, in, in this sense. Um, but yeah, they didn't give him anything or, you know, his character didn't have anything to do. Like, oh, he shot a gun. Cool. And then he was like doing a little bit of boxing, which, you know, he's a boxer in real life, um, which was like an ode to his, his uh, you know, thing. But yeah. None of them, to be honest, like none of the none of the montage scene, like it was like it was just lackluster because I love a good montage, you know, a good action montage. Like those are some of the best, you know, but this one was just there was nothing. They weren't giving us anything. It was like so basic. Well, you already mentioned it as well. But um, Antonio Banderas plays a character named Galgo. Um <laughs> He's the comic relief of the film. Um, we, we have a scene where uh, he, he sends in a fake resume to Bonaparte, but he just can't find work because, as he says, all he knows how to do is kill, and he does it very, very well. Felipe Silva, meet Barney Ross. <clears throat> Galco, you sent me another fake resume. Uh, Mr. Ross, 
I can do what you need, whatever you need. I am healthier than I look, stronger than I look, faster than I look. Actually, shit, you were born in 1984. Of course not, but I feel like I was born in 84. Do not waste your time, Barney, relieve me. Mr. Ross, Mr. Ross, Mr. Ross, please. It's, it's It's like I have discovered the fountain of youth. I mean, not the fountain of youth. Ponce de Leon discovered that one. Yeah, by the way, another great Spaniard like myself. No, you know, Mr. Ross, age is just a state of mind. You know, you're only old when you surrender, when you give up, and I haven't, not yet. Gago, this shit has got yeah, to stop. Go. This is the third time this month. Seriously, move on! This guy's story. Actually, I feel a little sorry for him. His last team dropped him. Back in the day, you couldn't catch it very fast. Maybe even faster than no you. No way. Oh, maybe. But what am I going to say? It's a young man's game. I need a job! All I know what to do is killing people! And I do that very well! God damn it! You know, I will say, I don't know how you felt, um, but yes, these scenes with Antonio Banderas, they are silly. Okay, but he is a welcome presence in this film. And mm-hmm. You can tell that Antonio, he is giving it his all. He's having a blast. And next to Mel Gibson, I would say he's the best thing about this film. He is absolutely hilarious in every scene he's in. I loved him. I I, I loved like his entrance. What an entrance to a character. Yeah. I mean, we were we were saying that all the montage, you know, was kind of lackluster, but his uh, part was welcome. Um, because it was just so funny for him to really just want to be on this team. And he, and, and he wants to die. <laughs> like he wants to, he wants, like he says it later in the film, like, you know, a, a one way ticket is better than no ticket, you know, or no way. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I love that. See, like if they had gone away from the other, other storylines, we could have had him come in in this way. And he talks about his team later on. Um, and like sort of a more serious moment than his like joking with Stallone. Um, so there could have been, there was like moments in the film where I, I felt like it was, it, it could have been, if, if they had just changed a few of the story beats, it would have been really good, you know, or at least for a third film, you know, maybe not, not the best, but it could have been, you know, so, um, yeah. Yeah, it was just surprising, and and they had until they had all these um, the older guys. I do appreciate in the franchise is that they're giving it their all and they're having fun. You can tell they're having fun, um, but yeah, it just it kind of fell apart in this one a little bit. So okay, so we have Sly and uh, the new recruits. They're suiting up for their next mission. This time, they've been assigned by Harrison Ford's drummer character to take out Stonebanks once again. Um, how how. Uh, Harrison Ford's uh, drummer character always seems to have this intel and this knowledge of where Stonebanks is. Is <laughs> you know, it always kind of cracks me up. It's like, well, if you know where he is, then why can't he just send in the entire armed forces to go in and you know nuke him, if you will? I don't know. Um, but well, I guess I can. That one is because they have to do the dirty work, and CIA can't have true. it. On the books. You're right. So I, I will give them that storyline. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Well, it's okay. So they're. They're to sabotage a new weapons deal that he is brokering, and they are successful. They do capture Stonebanks, and I mentioned it earlier, but yeah, I'm going to play it here in a minute, actually. But we get a great scene between Sylvester Mm -hmm. Stallone and Mel Gibson in the back of the van. And Mel Gibson, again, regardless how uh, you you feel about him, I know that there are some... uh, um, There's two camps, I guess. People really, Mm -hmm. really love him or despise him. But you cannot deny... The monologue he gives here 
is amazing. And it is yeah. very clear in this moment here, okay, that he has so much more acting talent than not just anyone in the van, but anyone on screen in this yeah. scene. It is amazing. Hey, you said we were taking a Oh, good morning. Are these your students? Hey, kids, what'd you learn tonight, huh? Yeah, what happened to the old crew? Oh, that's right. They stuck their noses into other people's worlds and got fatally injured. Now they're the deletables. Hey, you hear that, kids? Take note, because that's what you're doing right now. Let me shut his mouth. You're talking pretty tough to a guy who's incapacitated, which is good for you. Is it? Why don't you cut me loose? I'll open your meat shirt and show you your own heart. Hey, Parn. Why don't the two of us just end this? What do you say? Mix it up. Either you snapping my spine or me snapping yours. You know, make it snappy. He thinks I'm joking. I'm not joking. You should see me when I'm angry. You'd be very impressed. Then very dead. So come on, pal. Anything you want to get off your chest? Come on, lay it out. I'm a good listener. You're gonna take me back to the has-been crew? Carve me up around a fire? Very tribal. When we stop, I want to break every bone in your body. And drop what's left at the Hague. The Hague. Well, <laughs> I finally made that big time. I'm a war criminal. Keep laughing. <laughs> Do you think that you can just deliver me like a package? We were close once. See, we started this whole expendables thing together. See, look, I got the markers. It faded, but we had a falling out. It went dark. It's a dark business, Barney. Don't pretend you're not in it. The baddest survived. Those are the rules. I didn't make them up. You see, Barney here was content to work for the small end money as an employee. And being boss is more lucrative, but that's a concept that somehow eluded you. Plus, you got that pesky moral conscience. God, that stuff gets in the way. He thinks he's the good guy. Keep talking while you can. Sure. You got a conscience, and that makes you weak. Success, real success, is being willing to do the things that other people are not. Not everyone's as sick as you. Oh, but you are. Did you kill anyone today, Barn? Blow any shit up? How about you, kids? Kill anyone? Before you all start grabbing bricks to stone me at The Hague, you might want to check your own hands for blood. <sighs> but I digress. Where was I? Yes, business is booming, right? A chopper here, a missile there, guns, whatever. When suddenly, a competitor, if you can call Uncle Sam a competitor, hires my own team, Barney and the whole gang, to whack me. Things got ugly real fast and a lot of people got dead. Three former brothers-in-arms. You shut your mouth. Three expendables, our brothers, men we ate with, fought with, bled with, dead. He puts three slugs into my chest, thank God for body armor, even I thought I was dead. And then he boogies out with the casualty. All dead, because you couldn't stay out of my business. Shut your mouth, Barney! Barney! Go on, do it! Go on! What do you want? 
It really is um, like, you know, just based on, you know, his career and like his films, like you see the level, you know, like the differing levels. And that's like, sometimes you can't really tell you, like, Oh, I think that's good acting and stuff. But then you see it, especially in this film, like he, like Mel Gibson was more like, he never really did like, and I know he did the lethal weapon series and he's done like actiony, like old Mad Max and stuff like that. But none of like what the, you know, what, what, um, you know, the other ones have done more, you know, he's done more of like drama and stuff like that. Um, so you can tell like, Oh, they were, and they were, just as big as him you know if if not bigger like in terms of like popularity and like the the movie star status but you see the the difference in like the acting capability but yeah i don't know but i mean stallone got got his oscar right so i don't know or did he get nominated i think he got nominated for an oscar but yeah, I don't know. that was yeah. a big upset yeah he was uh he was yeah. nominated everyone thought that he was going to win for uh for creed and then yeah. he, he lost to the guy from bridge of spies so he also yeah, so he also has his acting. I mean, everyone in here is like they do what they do well. But yeah, you're right in terms of um Mel Gibson has that, you know, the the acting chops just a little bit more. <laughs> um but in terms of like they cast him well in this, you know, cuz you need that villain, you need that bad guy who's going to have that charismatic stuff to have, you know, to kind of battle cuz when they always have, like when they have a villain that's not as um up to par uh, it just is, it's always so bland, you know, and like when you see that in other movies. Um, so I think one thing that Expendables has done, it always has like kind of that, that good counterpart, but it's like how, you know, in this one, they just, the in-between stuff wasn't working. Yeah. Well, okay. So uh, Stonebanks has an army in his pocket and he had a tracking device on him as well. So he's able to turn the tables on the Expendables. Um, Stallone is able to escape, which is really <laughs> kind of interesting. He's able to escape. He just pretty much ditches his team. Okay. Um, which I, I shouldn't say he ditches his team, but, um, he doesn't, uh, he, he is able to escape. I guess we will say a little easier, um, than the other ones. And, uh, Mel Gibson kidnaps the young guns, which then forces Sly to go back in and rescue them once again. Okay. So he once again gets Intel as to where they're being held hostage. And so Sylvester Stallone has to go in. Um, this is the, I, we haven't even called him. I feel bad, but we haven't called him Barney Ross, but that's his character's name yeah. in, in all these films. So Barney Ross has to go in. It's a suicide mission. He's fully aware. And we also saw this, this was in the trailers, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, I mean, so it's not that big of a surprise. The young guys get kidnapped. And so Stallone is going to have to have his uh, he's going to have to recruit the old guys once again to come back and help him. Th there's many things here with the scene, uh, with these moments here that I wanted to break down. The one that I will get to right now is, OK, Conrad Stonebanks is holding these uh, these the, the young recruits, we will say he's holding them hostage in a fictional country called Asmenistan. Okay, so I have some issues with this. The, the 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 series is set in Bul or excuse me, the series is filmed. All of the Millennium plots, for that matter, they're all in Bulgaria. So I don't understand why they just couldn't have made it Bulgaria. But they create this fictional country called Asmenistan. And here's what I found really really bonkers is that it's amazing to me how Sylvester Stallone's character Barney Ross, he not only has enough jet fuel to get him there. But he also has the knowledge for how to get there. And, Catherine, and, I don't know if you noticed this, but apparently to get from the U.S. to Azmenistan, that's just, uh, that's what, a mere two-hour flight. 
huh? All right. Like, <laughs> Man, he must have had that real good technology. Or, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know the Expendables jet did the, the you know like warp speed <laughs> as Menistan. Where I, obviously I'm assuming it's a European country, but uh, yes, that, that's where everything. And obviously it's a war torn country because Sly he just does not give a crap about blowing and leveling up that entire area, does he? But he really, really cared about saving his team from old, you know, from dying in old age. <laughs> so this this is interesting here. Okay, so Galgo, this is Antonio Banderas's character. Galgo comes back and asks to join Stallone, as do the original team. So we get that great scene. Um, also played in the trailer where um, he's getting ready to leave. It's, I mean, it's a. I will say, it's a cool looking scene. Okay, um, just those guys. We have Randy Couture, Dolph Lundgren, uh, Jason Statham, and Wesley Snipes. They're standing there right on the airplane hangar, completely loaded. They have all their materials, and they're completely, you know, they have the, all their machine guns and everything like that. They're ready to go to help Stallone, which kind of cracks me up. It's kind of like. Look, this guy fired you. I don't know why yeah. you're so. Uh, who are those guys? My old team. What the hell are you doing here? You were stupid enough to get yourself into this space! We're the only ones crazy enough to get you out of it! Come on! We're late for a war! Galgo, you might want to get out of that sea. Christmas is coming. But it's June. Galgo, get the hell out. Yes, sir. Wait, I had the gloves. Wow. I'm curious. What? Since when did suicide become your hobby? I got a will. You know, I'm probably the only friend you've got. I got lots of friends. You walk into a room, people jump on the tables. I missed you, Christmas. I miss you too, you demented bastard. You could have left a demented. <laughs> which, I guess, promotes the moral of the story, Catherine, uh, yeah. which is... What your true friends are always there for you, right? Is that, yeah. is that what they're saying here? Is that what they're doing? Yeah, but I mean, he could have avoided all of this and just had them in the beginning. <laughs> and then he puts the, and then it's so funny because he, 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 like, this was the mission. Like, they could have died, right? Like, that was the whole point. It's a one way ticket. Why does he care about these? Um, you know, these kids or the, you know, the, his, these new kids, um, because that was like the contract they signed, right? About like, you're probably not going to come back. Um, and, and then all of a sudden he cares about that now, even though that's what he basically sent them there to go do. It's just, yeah, I just can't get over the, that line. But, um, but you know, we go with it because we just need the, I mean, honestly, at that point, I was just like, hey, we're going to get them back. Um, uh, so, so I was excited to kind of see the crew back, um, in the film. And then also when Antonio Banderas' character, get, uh, Galgo gets, uh, gets in and he does like that little dance thing. <laughs> that was real, fun. that was funny. And then he gets kicked out. He get he was, he's in the front, uh, cockpit there with Sly, right? And then, <laughs> And then Stallone pretty much tells him, yeah, that, that, that seat right there is for uh, someone who's higher up than you. So yeah. I need you to get in the back. 
Yeah. Which is so funny because, you know, Antonio Banderas has that charis, you know, he's, he has that, you know, he's very charismatic and to make him sort of like this kind of goofy character is like just shows like his acting chops, as well, you know, like kind of, um, just being this, this, this like funny character. I don't know. It was, I bet he had so much fun doing it. So the final act of the film takes place, like we said, in the fictional country of Azmenistan. Sorry, I'm just going to let all the listeners know that this is not a country that exists. So please, um, v- vaccinated or not, do not book your flights to Azmenistan. And even if it did exist, as we see, uh, Stallone just did not give a shit about leveling the entire place. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Barney Ross and the team, they do free the young recruits, and then they have to work together. So this I had to kind of laugh at. So apparently... Okay. <laughs> okay. So Mel Gibson is watching all of the action unfold. Yeah. And apparently in Mel Gibson's, uh, in his, his whole dastardly plan was he knew because even Stallone says this, he knew that they were going to be at odds and they were going to fight and argue. So apparently Mel Gibson is just relishing in this. He's lo- he's loving watching the young recruits and then, and the old guys, go at it to where Stallone finally has to play the peacemaker. He finally has to play, you know, father to everyone and say, look, this is exactly what he wants. We need to work together in order to get out of this. So, Yeah. That part was just silly um, because it was like, wouldn't Mel Gibson as a bad guy as his character, like he could have just like sent a missile into there and just be done with it. <laughs> You know, that didn't make any sense to me. It was just like, that's the movie part of like, oh, we just got to keep this going. And then he knew their plan. And then like, wouldn't you again, send like relay that to your team? And like, he would have like, it didn't make any sense. Like, like, and and it looked silly, you know, on like seeing it as an audience member, seeing Mel Gibson, see them talk about this pep talk that's supposed to be like, you know, the turning point. And it just felt weird. Um, it was awkward to see it as like a, as an audience member, because I was just like, what is going on? Like, so again, you mentioned stakes, no stakes. If you know that the bad guy is just watching them. Yeah. <laughs> Like, well, like he even he even says the line. I mean, he even says the line. What was it? Um, how hard can it be to kill twelve men? Now, first of all, yeah. twelve men—that's way too many. I mean, we we talked about this earlier, but that's way too many good guys to keep track of. But he says, "How hard can it be to kill twelve men?" And it's like, Mel, you have an entire army at your disposal. Ostensibly, it really shouldn't be that hard. Yes, yeah. Drop a giant and bomb. Isn't on he them. an arms dealer? Like, yeah, so. <laughs> he has all the weapons so okay even arnold schwarzenegger and jet lee join the fight in these final moments here and jet lee who's now inexplicably working for arnold's character trench so we haven't said it but yeah schwarzenegger plays a uh, he's the he's pretty much he's the barney ross but for another expendable steam right and so um yeah jet lee who's now working for him we're supposed to laugh at the fact that uh, uh jet lee jumped ship there but yeah, but that's I know that like off screen because I kind of looked like, oh, why wouldn't they include Jet Li? But it's because he was going through some health issues off screen, I think. Right. That's probably why they like he didn't come back. Well, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to throw out there another idea. And I know that. OK, I know that this wouldn't have happened, but I'm going to throw out there this idea. What if what if Arnold Schwarzenegger was the bad guy? And he again, kind of go along with what we said earlier, but he has this rival mercenary team who is at odds with us uh, Stallone. Okay. And then we have all these guys on that team as well. That could have been kind of cool. 
Yeah. Well, I kept thinking throughout the whole series when he would pop up, oh, he's a bad guy, you know, um, and he never was. So I was like, I kind of appreciated that because that was like, would have been the more obvious one. But in the third film, it would have been kind of a cool reveal to think like, oh, well, you fool us once, twice. And then we were thinking like, oh, Schwarzenegger, you know, is a good guy, Trench. But then we realized like, no, yeah, that would have been actually really like a really good one. And then maybe him, like Schwarzenegger and Gibson together. That would have been a, a combo. Like, you know, he would have had the mercenary team. He would have, they would have been kind of like that collab combo sort of thing. Um, yeah. Oh, what could have oh, been? Wait, I know. Maybe the fourth one will, maybe the fourth one will remedy all of this. You know, you never know. I have, I'll, I'll, I'll give it, I'll give it, I'm going to watch it anyways now that I'm invested. So. Well, I will say, uh, I do like the final one on one fight that, uh, Sylvester Stallone gets to have with Mel Gibson. I mean, similar to the uh, the final fight in Expendables 2 between Stallone and Van Damme, I do think it goes way too short. But it is really mm. well choreographed. I mean, I really, I just think the uh, yeah. the the location that they've chosen where these these two guys are thrashing around in, in water that's kind of going up to their, you know, what what is it, to about their, their ankles, if you will, or whatever. That looks really, really cool. And you can tell in this final fight scene, Mel Gibson is having fun. And I really like, I mean, every mm-hmm. punch. I mean, because when you're watching this, uh, my friend Brenton said this uh, on the previous episode when we were discussing uh, Expendables 2. But when you're watching this, okay, yes, it is Sylvester Stallone versus Mel Gibson. But you can almost look at it as, okay, this is Rocky versus Martin Riggs here, right? And yeah. I really love, I don't know if you picked up on this, but I love how every punch that Mel Gibson throws, he has a grunt with it just to kind of show how evil he is. And so, and obviously we know that Stallone is going to win this fight, but while it is a bit too short, it is, it is pretty cool to see. Yeah. I love, I have to say, I, you know, I, I mentioned I was, I had it, I had stalled on watching the series because I was thinking, Oh, it's going to be a little cringy, especially I was thinking with the action scenes, you know, like what are they going to do with all these, you know, um, older stars. But um, I know, I think the first and second one were the stunt guy was Chad Stahelski. Maybe um, I don't, I think it was the first one and I'm maybe the second one. Um, and then that made sense. Cause he, he's obviously like the, you know, he's done stunts for a bunch of other movies and he's was a director of, you know, um, John Wick franchise. Um, and then I was like, oh, that's why the stunts look really good. Cause I was actually surprised. I was like, oh yeah, like regardless of the story plots and here and there, you know, the, a little bit of like those one liners, it has looked really good. Um, like the way they utilize, you know, the older, like them as older action heroes and thinking like it could have looked really bad in the series. But I have to say that's always been on point. They've utilized them very well and used like their skills. Um, so I, I have enjoyed their their fight scenes and the way they kind of like use them. And I guess that's probably why it's short, because if they go a little bit longer, then you're going to see that those kind of like, you know, the the age of it, maybe. Um, but yeah, I don't, he wasn't in this one. I, it, it, I looked at the stunt coordinator. It was a different person, but I think still part of the crew that was probably in the first two. So I was like, oh, that's why it still looks good. <laughs> like the choreography, at least. Well, I do. I mean, OK, it is ridiculous, I will admit, but it is. It is really cool to see. I mean, it could be, you know, like you, we've seen like where it could be bad yeah. and like this one, it's actually pretty good, you know, for what it is. Yeah. So we see Sylvester Stallone, he narrowly escapes. Okay. So after he does, um, he does get the upper hand on Conrad Stonebanks and he does shoot him dead. He does get a great final line to uh, Conrad Stonebanks. So we have Mel Gibson. Uh, he asks him, what about the Hague? And <laughs> just how Stallone says, I am the Hague. 
and you know pops a few into his <laughs> chest and yeah. yeah you know um yeah yeah i mean you know I, I don't know so much mind the one-liners it's the one-liners that are callbacks to their careers from the eight you yeah know I mean? that's yeah, i think a little my, bit too cringy especially like arnold with get to the chopper and i was yeah. like oh no don't do it <laughs> Well, and speaking speaking of the chopper, can we just say, I don't know if you picked up on this either or not. Okay, I don't know how this helicopter is able to, to, carry, all of them. to carry all of them. Not only to carry all of them, Catherine, but all of their equipment, all of their guns, all of their you know artillery that they're... There is no way that a helicopter is going to handle all of those, which, again, goes back to what I think we keep coming back to. Way too many characters on the good side here. If they would have just split these up, then I could buy uh, this this helicopter that uh, uh, Arnold and uh, uh, a drummer, okay, Harrison Ford are flying, holding all of them. But you know, when you see all of them in this helicopter, oh, and that, then, was, that was so funny. And then we're to believe that it's going to be able to hold Sylvester Stallone, who narrowly escapes this building that uh, completely collapses. It's kind of like, oh boy, here. But then again. That's what the series is here. I don't think we're supposed to be looking at this series uh, as as a form of realism in any way. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, and I I'm one for like um you know that su- suspension of disbelief. Like I there's a certain level like obviously like you you mentioned like oh his trip to Azmenistan it only took two hours like those things I'm okay with. But there's like some things where you can't have too many of those things. Or else it just really diminishes, you know, the like the movie. And we just mentioned a bunch of them. Um, but yeah, the I have to, the last. Uh, I and and from like a movie standpoint, and also realistically, like when they were shooting, I was just thinking like there's a shot of like all of them in the chopper, and I was just thinking like imagine that day of like shooting, they're all like just cramped up, and it's like the young like as actors are like the young ones, like they're cramped with like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Harrison Ford. Like that must've been actually kind of cool, but yeah. it looks silly. Like when you see that shot of them in there, cause it's like, wait, we've seen from so many other action movies that like one extra thing can like bring a chopper down. So um yeah, it just seemed very, and then they're so close to the explosion, but you know, even that I, I'll let it go. Cause you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it was very weird that they were, and the chopper doesn't look any bigger than like the normal chopper <laughs> no. people. So I was just like, wait, how many are in there? Yeah, that was a little silly. I wish like some of them would have been out already, like in a different area. Maybe there was only, like they were only trying to, like the core group was trying to get Stallone. Um, and, and that would have been okay. And like the other ones would have escaped somehow like differently or whatever. Well, the film ends with the entire team at a bar, uh, acting jovial and hanging out. Uh, Terry Crews is back alive and well. Okay. I, you know, um, I, I do think it's, uh, I do think it's, it is interesting. On one hand, it's kind of cool seeing everybody together. Obviously, there's yeah. no casualties whatsoever for this team, which again, we keep talking about the lack of stakes is problematic. I just found it also kind of interesting that uh, apparently do they, do they own this bar? I'm assuming, or they had to rent out this bar. I mean, I just think it's kind of interesting that there's nobody else really in this bar other than this team of expendables here. So I was, and and I was talking about this with my buddy and he brought up a good point. He said, okay, what if Mickey Rourke's character died and Sylvester Stallone had to take over, not just the tattoo parlor, but the bar as well. So that I could buy if 
they're all hanging out at a bar that is owned by Sylvester Stallone. That would have, uh, you know, made a little more sense, but I just found it kind of interesting that all these, uh, all these tough, hard-nosed mercenaries are pretty much not just hanging out in a bar, but they are pretty much running the entire establishment in place in this scene. Yeah. Yeah, it's another thing with, like, that production design that I was telling you about. Like, it just doesn't feel real. It feels like a set. And when you can, f- when you know it's sort of, you know, when you can, as an audience, when you can know that it's just like them in a room that, you know, was kind of dressed, it's like, it does lose its little shine a little bit, you know, but... um I don't know. <laughs> but overall, I think the third film, though, I don't know, like, uh, even though we mentioned a lot of the, the, you know, these, these story points, it is fun when you watch them all together, because I watched it all together. Um, but then we're breaking it down because, you know, we're doing this podcast. But um, I don't know. I'm sure you're gonna ask me like what I thought overall, but <laughs> I just got ahead of myself. Well, and I mean, can we I, th- I think we need to mention it here. But um the film was co-written by Sylvester Stallone and mm-hmm. look, Sylvester Stallone, he is, I mean, not only is he a, a force in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well. Okay. I mean, he's yeah. directed dozens of films. He's written, uh, seems like just about half of his entire filmography, but I will mm-hmm. say right now, he, he just, he doesn't know how to write comedy because the scenes that are meant to be funny, just, don't come off as funny. I, I think there were some people who were laughing at the scene between uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jet, or excuse me, yeah, it's Schwarzenegger and Jet Li as they're kind of hugging and acting all silly. It, it, I don't know about you, but I really didn't find it funny. And then when the young crew steps up and starts singing karaoke to old yeah, man, I was like, I actually had to forward that a little bit because I was like, this is too it's embarrassing. This, this was, what, yeah, that's what I thought the. Um, you know, I was worried about those moments in the series, and that's why, like, I've, I avoided these films. <laughs> and then it happened at that, like, I, I couldn't even, I didn't even want to see that. I was like, no, don't do it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's kind of like stand-up comedy. I, I always felt like, look, I love stand-up comedy, but I, I cringe and I despise watching films that are about stand-up comedy because what you're getting here what you're seeing on film is someone pretending to do a stand-up routine and pretending to be funny and then you're seeing essentially actors or extras on set who are also pretending to laugh at the scene and it just it doesn't Mm -hmm. work i I feel the same thing about uh dance scenes in movies where you see people in dance clubs or whatever and it's the same thing here what we Mm -hmm. are seeing is a bunch of actors doing karaoke it's just it's it's embarrassing and just and the song they pick old men get it because Stallone and Schwarzenegger and everybody are old men. It's, it's again, it's way too on the nose to where when I bought my ticket, I knew what I was getting into. I don't need my, I don't need my nose rubbed into it. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And also the bar scene too, like, like, you know, especially with the young ones, like that, they didn't really do anything. Like they had to get saved. So they weren't really like super badass, you know, like it just feels really weird um at the end with all of them like hey like we're you know we're a crew now but it's like oh you didn't you didn't really do anything (laughs) yeah you have yeah and they're all we have the tattoo now and it's like well you know i don't know if you really earned it yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it was very um it was like i I think you know you mentioned like maybe you can't write comedy because it just feels awkward like even even you know there's like the the line but i mean the towing the line between him and christmas like Barney and Christmas, but it sort of works, you know, because like Statham has just so much charisma against, you know, Stallone and, and both of them that I'm like, okay, you sold, you sold it on me and that's their bromance. 
But when you have a lot of that in other, other um, areas of the movie, it's too much. It's too much um, awkwardness and cringiness. Well, okay. So the moment has come. I mean, I know we've laughed at a lot of the aspects of this particular film. I will say I, I did still have fun with it. I think compared to um, many of the other films that uh, Stallone has done and Dolph Lundgren has done. Uh, and sadly, we haven't really talked about a heck of a lot about I know. Dolph. Well, he wasn't even much... He wasn't really in He's this sidelined by the younger ones, uh, unfortunately. But yeah, um, which I mean, how do you sideline, you know, <laughs> Dolph Lundgren? So, like, you know, it's hard to admit like they did. I don't know. I was actually really bummed because I was like, wait, I was, you know, I was I was writing my notes and getting, you know, I was like, um, as I was watching this movie, I was like, I literally don't have anything on Dolph Lundgren except except um, I just wanted yeah. more of him. <laughs> Because he grew on me as his character. At the beginning, I didn't really, you know, the first one was a little cringy, but then he kind of redeemed himself. And then the second one was fun. I liked his, you know, he was sort of like the Antonio Banderas comic relief character in the series. And they kind of like sidelined him in this one. Or they did, actually. So, okay. So how about your recommend? Okay. Would you, overall, um, critiques aside, if you will. Um, and I know, I mean, again, I appreciate you watching the uh, the other films. I don't think anyone else has done that much prep work before so i really do appreciate it but uh how does this one rank for you would you uh give this one as a recommend uh not just as a Dolph Lundgren film but uh we'll say as an action film in general i know that you're a huge fan of uh all of these guys from their from their glory days how how does this one rank for you what do you have to say i mean it is the third one i think if i had to rank them just because of the story beats like i will go i will follow a far-fetched storyline but this, you know, the, all the beats that we talked about, you know, it didn't make that much sense. Um, but overall, like the new additions, the Gibson, the Harrison Ford character, um, you know, um, some of the shots too, we didn't talk about the directing and stuff, but I did like some of those choices. It, it felt more, um, I don't know, a little bit artsy, like in some of those like uh, close shots um, with with like Stallone. And um, there was like the Antonio Banderas where he like puts his hands on his hip and like it's framed very nicely. So I appreciated that um, it sort of brought a little bit something new. But um, overall, like I'm guessing if you watch, I, I guess I'm going to recommend it in this way. If you watch the first two and you enjoyed them, I would recommend this one. But if you're not an action person, if you're, um, if, if, you know, the, if you didn't, if you're not a fan of the eighties, nineties, um, action movies, you probably won't like this one. Um, or if you just need someone, something to watch, cause they all, all are on Hulu. And if you want something on the background that maybe you don't want to pay attention to, cause you're not, you know, a part of this, then you can also put it on. So that's how I'm going to recommend it. But I did have a good time. You know, there was, there was, um, high, there was a good moment in this film, but, those story beats, I mean, if they had just changed a few things or some of the main things, um, it could have been really good, you know, because I think sometimes it irks me when, you know, action kind of gets dumbed down because they think that's what it needs to be. And I feel like there's some really good action movies out there that are solid in the story and um, and everything else. And there it, it can be a genre that is just as good as like drama and everything else, you know, if they if, when they, you know when they make it cohesive and everything. So um, I think for that reason, I'm sort of like, ugh, like a warm, a soft recommend based on, on, on the, on your uh, preferences. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I, I will say for my recommend, um, I think compared to the other two films in the expendable series, 
this is probably the weakest. There, there are just way too many characters, especially on the good side, that once again, the film lacks any real stakes. Mm-hmm. I think that's my big thing that I keep going back to with not just this film, but with the series in general. Um, with all of the various in-jokes and one-liners, the tone of this movie is clearly meant to be silly um, by, once again, not just given uh, we have no casualties to any of the team members. Um, as far as Dolph Lundgren goes, I would say that he's not so much of a goof here as he was in the last film. Yeah. So that was a nice change of pace. I think he's uh, serviced fairly well here, especially we haven't talked about it, but especially in those scenes where he's at odds with the younger team members in the final act when, you know, the, the two teams are learning to work together. He just starts, you know, shouting at them and calling them names saying, how'd you guys get into this mess? And I really, <laughs> I really liked those moments uh, there. The PG 13 rating really doesn't bother me as much as it did others. But overall, like I said earlier, the film, just becomes a parody of the type of films it was trying to be a love letter to. And so as a result, it's just weird. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of odd Mm -hmm. looking at this one. It's, it's, it's so much of an outlier compared to the previous two films. Having said all of that, believe it or not, I did still have a ton of fun with this movie. Uh, It delivers, uh, you know, know, on the same level with the other films in terms of action, it does deliver what those previous films offered. Um, but it's not like I was surprised with any of the characters, any of the action sequences, etc. Um, the budget is put to use well, and so the explosions, fights, and action is all very much welcome and serviced quite well. Um, and we we haven't uh, we haven't talked about. I mean, we kind of mentioned it already, but um, Expendables Four. I mean, it's really kind of interesting, Catherine, that we it's almost like the 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 gods of action cinema have uh, have aligned in a sense for us. I mean, you know, it's interesting. We're doing this discussion now and apparently um, Expendables 4 started filming, I guess, actually this week. So um, they've been slowly releasing the stars. I guess the fourth one is going to focus more on Lee Christmas. So that's Jason Statham's character. He's going to be taking the lead where the other characters are going to be more sidelined. I, I don't know. They've, they've been announcing some of the various casting. Uh, I guess Andy Garcia is going to be in it, as is uh, Megan Fox and 50 Cent and Tony Jaa. W- where do you stand on Expendables uh, for? Uh, are you looking forward to it? And I guess, where do you, uh, where do you hope it goes? Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's going to be, what, seven years since the, the last one? Um, that's a lot in terms of where we are. <laughs> Like um, in terms of pop culture and what's acceptable and what's not. Um, so I'm actually really curious how they're going to, um, if they're going to still incorporate the one-liners, if they're going to still put in some of those like more questionable moments in terms of dialogue. Um, and, and, and so, yeah. And then also with the story, I just hope that they, if they are focusing back, it doesn't seem like there's any of the young ones in the, in the cast that I'm seeing on IMDb and there's like some new additions. So I wonder if they're going to go back to sort of the roots um, of just making it, you know, um, maybe some, some adversary with Lee Christmas. And then that's going to be sort of the, the main draw. I wonder what Megan, uh, what character Megan Fox is going to play in is it like a daughter sort of thing. Or um, so I'm going to be curious to, to know where that goes. Um, and she's had such a resurgence lately. So I'm actually excited for her to be in this one. Um, and, and, you know, Tony John and, and some of the other people. So um, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm on this ride already. I'm three, three movies in, I will never say no to an action movie. So um, I don't know. I, 
I guess we'll see Expendables 4. I don't really know what, what I want, except maybe going back to the roots of the one and two and kind of ignoring what they did in three. Yeah. <laughs> except it needs the stunts and action just as good, if not better in, in, you know, in the four. It needs to get back to basics. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I, and look, I, I don't care so much about the R rating, but it needs to get back to basics. It needs to be a little bit more gritty. Um, I read a few things online. One of the theories is that, uh, Sylvester Stallone may be killed off. Mm. And I mean, look, that would be ballsy. I'll admit that would be ballsy. And that would certainly give the film some, uh, some stakes and would give the Lee Christmas character some real drive and motivation. I just don't know if, Stallone is willing to uh, go that route with one of his characters. I mean, he he had the opportunity to kill off Rocky and Rambo multiple times, and he mm-hmm. never did. So I wonder if Stallone's ego is really going to allow that. Well, we'll have to see. It's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I guess they haven't revealed it because I'm not seeing it on uh, IMDb, but I can't tell who the main bad guy is. So I don't know if they've revealed that or if it's one of those other names that you just mentioned. But I'll be really curious to see who they bring in as like the adversary. If we're lucky, it'll be a uh, an Asmenistan army of uh, faceless, <laughs> nameless goons who are just there to be like a video game, right? So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh man. But um, I'll, I'm excited for that one. Maybe I'll be back for that one. <laughs> well, before I let you go, I mean, we talked about uh, your podcast, uh, Latinx Lens. Um, is there anything else that you want to plug or anything else that you want to want to mention? Uh, no, you can listen to our podcast um, where, wherever you listen to podcasts. And, you know, if you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Latinx Lens. And then if I have my uh, website. Um, we talk about movies, TV, music, a bunch of other things. Um, ShuffleOnline.net. Um, yeah. And then you can follow me at ThingsCatLoves on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Well, I had a ton of fun. Thank you so much. I'm glad we were able to find the time. Uh, but I, I really do appreciate you uh, joining me once again for uh, for one of these silly little films. And uh, <laughs> I look forward to uh, hopefully having you come back on again here soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I love talking about breaking down um, Expendables 3 just, you know, as a, I don't know, it's fun. <laughs> so thanks. It was really fun ha- uh, watching these and uh, talking about it with you. All right. Well, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And closing out this episode will be the Expendables theme composed by Brian Tyler. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast.